Amen. So, we are in Promise Keepers, and we are doing David the King this morning. David, best known for his awesome songbook writing, Psalms. Um, But funnily enough, we're not actually going to cover any of the Psalms this morning. But, little tidbit, if you look at the, uh, the song numbers on each of the slides this morning, they're actually linked to the Psalms that are written about this period of time in the Bible. Hey! I know, it took a while, but it was good. I, I quite enjoyed myself. So, we've done so far Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and David this week. David, I, I, when, when I first started this out, the, prom- the whole Promise Keeper series, I kind of thought, oh, this is really good. Adam and Eve, brilliant. Genesis, right at the start, few chapters, great. Noah, Basically, just a few chapters again. Brilliant. Moses, okay, the end of this and a little bit of Exodus. Okay, that's all right. Abraham, you know, kind of just that bit as well. And then suddenly you get to people like David where there's multiple books written about him and it's a lot of reading to try and condense down into like a 10-minute format for an altogether service. So forgive me if I miss a lot of bits out, but I highly recommend... You read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Kings, and all of the books around David's life because it is fantastic, and it's such a blessing to be able to read that. So, let's have a look. David started out life with a promise, or rather, he started kind of in his life with a promise. He was a young shepherd. He was a a boy who went out and watched sheep for his father. Yeah, minding his own, his own business, unless, of course, there was a lion or a bear or something like that that would come around. He would defend the sheep with all that he had. Awesome. One day, this prophet, this guy called Samuel, came along to his father's house and said, I'm here to anoint a new king. And so Jesse was like, oh, yeah, a new king. So he parades his strapping young boys out in front of Samuel. And Samuel says, no, God says, it's none of these guys. Have you got another son? And he's like, well, we've got David. He's a scraggly little boy. He's out, out tending the sheep at the moment. So they get him to come back in. And right on the spot, as soon as he walks in the room, God says, it's him. And an anointing straight on his life. So he anoints his head with the best olive oil from Asda. Great. So that's the oil thing is, there's little thought about him. He wasn't even invited to this meeting. Like, there's very little thought about David at this point. And he, he was a shepherd boy. No one thought anything of him. He was out in the land of Bethlehem, and suddenly he's anointed, filled with the Spirit of the Lord, and a promise to be the future king. Can you imagine that? You go from literally tending sheep to suddenly oily hair and you're going to be king. Fantastic. But how do you go from this rags to riches? Like, how, how do you transition from shepherd boy to king? Because that kind of seems like a, a massive chasm there. Like, what, what is God promising him through this anointing? Now, let's talk about the giant in the room. What's that? Yeah, Rob, can I get you on a... There's going to be a few jokes, so it might be a good idea to preempt. Um, So we've got 
a giant in the room. So this guy is roughly tall enough. He's about a foot too short because I couldn't fit him in a classroom if he was any taller. Um, but this is Goliath. Say hi, Goliath. Hi, Goliath. There we are. Will that work? Just, just about. Stay, stay, stay. Okay, so after the anointing, everything changed for David, yeah? No, not really. He just went back to shepherding sheep. And as it happens, he started doing sandwich runs for his brothers who were on the front line of the war against the Philistines. And on the Philistines' side, there was this nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant of a man named Goliath. Now, he had spent a few days yelling across the battlefield for a worthy opponent. Oi! Send out someone who's worthy of me! That's why his mouth is open and he's smiling because he's yelling all of that. Everyone on the Israelite side was afraid to take him on. Everyone, and there's mother's uncle's son, was afraid to take him on. Except that is David. So what's different about David is that he trusts in God. God has been with him and delivered him from a lion and bears from when he was protecting sheep. And now God will deliver him from this Philistine giant. The Philistine giant that's defying God's armies as well. We know the story. We've done this story before. Um, Saul tries to put his armor on him. And David's like, I can't even move in this. I'm going to go out in what I'm comfortable in. I'm going to go out in my shepherding cloak with my, uh, I'm going to gird my loins and stuff, and with my sling and my crook, and that's all I'm going out with. So we know all that story. David yells across the battlefield, and I love this. We did this story in schools, and I, he yelled across the battlefield because Goliath basically like, goes on a proper tirade of a rant saying, you send out this shepherd boy against me, and I've got all of these armies. I'm big, I'm strong, I've got this spear that was bigger than you even. Yeah? But David goes out, and I come to you in the name of the Lord. Amazing. What strength. But not David's strength. God's strength. And that's what's amazing about this. It's not David's strength. It's God's strength that he steps out onto that battlefield with. So, as we know, David thwips a stone across the battlefield, knocks Goliath in the forehead, and bam, he's on the floor, head cut off for good measure. But what's key here in this part of the story is David's understanding that it's not in his name or his timing or action or skill, but it's in the Lord's power. It's in the Lord's action upon that situation. David has no physical advantage over Goliath in battle. But David did have God on his side. He had the anointing. He had the spirit in him. Awesome. So the promise unfolds. So next up, we have, oh yeah, versus the giant and a life spared. So the interesting thing is about this story, it doesn't just stop after David kills ooh, Goliath. Because you'd think, like, David's the one person on that army who 
stood up to Goliath, surely like, everybody looks at him and goes, wow, yeah, you should be king next. Well, kind of. Lots of people in the land say, yes, you are amazing. But Saul gets a little bit jealous. See, the problem is when the, when the Spirit of God settled on David when he was anointed, it left Saul. And so David began to succeed in things, and Saul became increasingly jealous. And as we know, jealousy leads to anger. Anger leads to pain. Pain leads to suffering. Um, so angry King Saul attempts to kill David a few times. Even when David's like playing nice music, uh, he throws a spear at him. He literally is playing music and David throws a spear at him. I know sometimes when kids are practicing recorder, it might be tempting, but don't do it. Um, so as you can imagine, the relationship between Saul and David, we know it gets a little bit tense. Um, well, I say a little bit tense. Basically, Saul's out to kill David. David's running away from him, going, I, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. So we get to this point where David and some of his men are taking shelter in the side of a mountain. Meanwhile, Saul is always on the hunt for David and had word from someone that he was in a desert nearby. But as Saul is making his way to the desert, nature calls. So Saul finds a crag, a craggy area. He finds a cave. Funnily enough, it's the same cave that David's in and his men are in. Now, I don't quite know how this all works out or how big this cave was it, or, or how dark it was inside. But essentially, Saul goes in to do number two. And, um, and, and so David and his men are further in. And then David realizes who's there. And his men nudge him and say, do you know what? This is the moment that God has given you. You can take them. You can take him right now because he's vulnerable. You can get him. So David's like, oh, I could do. But he doesn't. He does sneak up and steal, cut off a small part of the robe, but he doesn't kill Saul. David had the opportunity in hand right in that moment to fulfill the promise that God had put on his life, to fulfill the anointing for him to be king, to off Saul completely and to step into that promise. But he didn't. He'd made that promise with God that he wouldn't lay a hand on anybody who was anointed by God. And Saul was anointed to be king as much as uh, David was anointed as well to be king afterwards. Saul was anointed and David had promised God... I'm not going to touch him. And so we get this moment when David steps out of the cave after Saul's come out. Could you imagine that? You've just been to the toilet and then suddenly somebody steps out after you. It's like, oh, where were you? And David steps out and says, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't because God has, a, it's up to God to decide who between us, not for us. Not to kill each other, it's up to God to decide who between us. And so we get, Saul basically says, oh yes, I'm sorry. He sounds all, <laughs> he sounds all kind of like remissful and remorseful and things and, and says, oh no, I won't do it again. And next thing you know, he's chasing David again. So uh, a life spared the reprise. Um, again, not long afterwards, David has another opportunity to take, take Saul's life. So again, 
Saul gets no notification of where David's going to be, um, and he makes his way out, but kind of like the news is slightly behind. So Saul makes camp somewhere in a desert, yeah? And David knows. He sees where Saul is. He sees where the camp is. And he says to his friends, like, oh, do you know what? We should go down. Should we go down into the camp? And so he gets his friend, and I'm just going to double-check what his name is because I always get it wrong. Abishai. Abishai? Abishai? Is that the right? The right pronunciation? Anybody in the room? Abishai? You can nod, and then I'll be fine. Yes, there we are. Thank you, Carwin. Yes. So Abishai. So David's friend Abishai he comes with him. Yeah? And so they sneak into the camp. They work their way through the armies, and all the armies would have been around Saul protecting him. Yeah? And so they work their way through the armies, and they crawl all the way up to Saul's head, and he's sleeping. And you're wondering, hang on, this is an army. Surely they'd have had guards out and things like that. The Lord kind of like caused the sleep to come upon them, which is incredible. So God's protecting the anointed at this moment, yeah? So they're creeping up, and Saul's asleep, like that, asleep. And then Abisham says to him, David, look, he's asleep. I've got a spear right here. I could drive it through him into the ground. The Bible gets a bit icky sometimes. But I could drive it through him into the ground and we could kill him. And that's it. All this running, all this hiding for our life, all of this kind of like war would stop. But David's like, no, this isn't, it's not by my hand. It's not by our hand. It's by God's hand that Saul will die and the anointing will pass to David. And so he takes a jug and he takes the king's spear from his head and he takes him out and he does it again, same as the robe. He says, look, I could have killed you, but it's not by my hand, it's by God's. And so Saul, yet again, is remorseful and remiss that he was chasing after David, but again continues to chase after David to kill him. David knew what it was to follow God's plans. He had, as we can see, the motive. You're going to be king once Saul's dead. The motive, the opportunity, somebody lying asleep in front of you with a sword in hand ready to kill him. And he was probably even dressed as Colonel Mustard. Bit of a Cluedo thing there. Um, But he didn't do it. He knew he needed to wait on God's timing for the promise to come to fruition. And then we get to this lovely ode, the shepherd king. So in time, Saul dies in battle, as David said. He's going to die by either time, life leaving him, or he's going to die in battle. He died in battle, falling on his own sword. But it wasn't a straight shot for David to be king now as well. It's still not kind of like a straight, right, plonk the crown on your head, brilliant. We've seen with the, queen's, um, with the queen's funeral and all the stuff and the heads of state having to kind of like gather together and all the pomp and things that need to be signed with Charles becoming king. We've got all of that to go through as well with David. We've got all of the kind of the, um, we're talking about a war-torn, battle-torn kind of group of people who were separated by land and separated by communication and separated by wars and infighting. So for David to be king, Saul's people had to become loyal to David. 
but they were still loyal to Saul, even in death. And they continued this campaign against David. And after some time, David inquired with God, God, is it time for me to go up to Judah? And God said, yes, it is. And so he did. David became ruler over the people of Judah, and he was quickly accepted there as their anointed new king. And after a war of houses, there's a little bit back and forth between David and Saul's house, um, the leaders of the tribes of Israel gathered together, and they understood David's past triumphs in battle in God's name, and they understood that the Lord had said to him, you shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall become their ruler. It's slightly paraphrased. It's not recorded. That is exactly what they said, but that's basically what's been said. Did you know that the word shepherd and king in the Bible are interchangeable? I was, I, I, was quite, I was quite taken aback by this. Shepherd and king, interchangeable. So when it says that you, know, you will shepherd God's people, so you will be king over God's people, you will rule over them. But what's interesting about shepherding is when a shepherd and a king come together, and the reason the words are interchangeable is because very often a shepherd will take care of somebody else's flock. A king will take care of somebody else's land and watch over it and encompass it and bring it into the fold. And that's what David's there to do is to bring the family, bring the Israel back together again. He's going to shepherd the kingdom, which is awesome, the shepherd king. David became ruler over the people of Judah, right? And then the rest of everything follows. Did you know um, that David was 30 when he became king and ruled for another 40 years afterwards? And God chose him in his timing to do what he needed him to do. We've seen that God's timing for his promise so often can mean waiting. We remember with Noah, the amount of years that he had to wait. Yeah, we remember with Abraham, the amount of years that he had to wait. We can see that there's this theme of waiting, of growth, of planning that takes place with, with, um, with God. Our responsibility is not, like we did with the game, is not to jump the gun and go before God's timing. It's to wait upon God's timing. And this game, like the game with the timer, would have been so much easier if they were able to look at the timer, yeah? If they were able to look at the toast and see it kind of browning, they would know when to come up. How do we know what God's timing is going to be? We pray. And we get to know God personally. That's how we get to know God's timing. That's how David knew God's timing. Often you'd find him in prayer and he'd be saying, is it now, God? So God used the shepherd boy to fell a giant because he listened. And we need to listen to God. God can make a shepherd boy king because he listened and he waited for God's timing. Now, the wonderful thing about, thing about David is that as well as this promise of the anointing that happens like a few times through the different tribes and things, there's this post-credit Marvel scene. You know, like that bit 
it's at the end of one of the one of the first Marvel ones where Nick Fury's in the bar and he's kind of like Tony Stark. Oh, and the Tony Stark's there as well. And then he says there was an idea, and he like kind of pitches the Avengers to him. It's a great scene, and we've gotten used to it. Everybody stays in the cinema at the end of films now to see what the next scene is. Yeah, and we get this with God's promise. God gives David a promise through Nathan, his son. He gives God a promise. David became king, and once things had settled and the battles had been fought, David thought to himself, Ah, I'm sitting in a plush palace here while the Lord still dwells in a tent. David had in mind to build him a temple. But God spoke to Nathan, one of David's sons, and told him. Now, interesting, I said to John this morning, I tried to paraphrase this verse, but it's God's. God actually speaking, so I'm like, it was really difficult to kind of like condense it down. So I'm going to read it in its entirety. I do apologize for timing-wise, but I'm going to read it in its entirety, and I want you to soak it in. Go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell me, servant David, this is what the Lord God Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from the flock to be a ruler over my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies, including Goliath, from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more, any more as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders." Over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. Lush, rest from enemies. Great, because of David at this point had been battling for like the last 20 years. And the Lord declares this to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod of men, with the floggings of inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's a powerful promise over someone's life, isn't it? And that promise links directly back to Adam, back to that promise that God made to Adam and Eve, the set out of that clause of the Son to come, of Jesus at the end to die for sins, and that it would come from David's line. How much of a promise is that over someone's life? But this happened because David trusted in God. 
And we've seen that in the other people, in the other people who have had promises over their life. They've trusted in God in what needed to be done. So what does it mean for us? Um, the anointing you can have, that start, the moment of passion that sparks within you, like David setting out on the battlefield. That's just the beginning. Stepping out in the trust that God has given you. That's powerful. You may not be facing giants like Goliath, but it could be any number of giants in your life. Waiting on God's timing twice, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. And twice he followed what God had said to him. Sometimes we may want to act out in our own strength because we can't see how God is working, which would have been easy against Goliath, which would have been easy against Saul. But we need to trust in God, hold firm to his promise, and give him all the glory and praise that's due his name. And that's what's the encouraging thing about David is the amount of psalms that he writes in praise of God in these situations that he faced and the trust that he puts and that you could feel that exudes from his words. God will see you through and be encouraged by the promise God gave David and how God is the promise keeper.